0: This is, a, this is a heavy passage, Micah 3, verses 1 through 4 is where we're going this morning. Uh, two weeks ago, I told you about my fifth grade classmate, Chuck. He had no friends and who I treated wrongly. And he was vulnerable and I did nothing to help. Uh, who never finished a year at my mostly white middle class private school in Waterford, Connecticut. And I told you at the end what I would tell Chuck if I ever connected with him again and found him again. I want to tell you about uh, Jenny Brodsky today. Uh, I went to school with Jenny Brodsky from kindergarten to 10th grade. She was in my class. Um, Jenny was a, always a little heavy set. She did well in school. And for some reason, her older sister, Terry, and her two younger brothers were not cool enough for the in crowd in my school. Now, I gotta admit, they were a little bit nerdy, a little geeky, and they were always a few years behind in their clothes, styles, and their parents were a little odd, too. But the way they were teased, the way they were scoffed at, and their parents, Dale and Yvonne, were mocked at uh, was inexcusable. Jenny was very smart. She was always at the top of the academic ladder in my class and the bottom of the social ladder uh, in our school. She was very kind and very sweet. Uh, She just wasn't cool like the rest of us people who thought we were cool or trying to fit in. And so we made fun of Jenny mercilessly. We mocked her clothes. We mocked her good grades. We mocked her weight. And as I said, we mocked her family and her parents. If you grew up in a Christian school, you may have noticed that as the grades get higher, the classes usually get smaller in size. They usually dwindle. Elementary classes in a Christian school are usually very, very, quite, quite a bit larger than the high school. And so it was, as we entered junior high and high school, they got smaller and smaller. And by 10th grade, my class got smaller. And near the end of my time there in that school, before our family moved from Connecticut to New Jersey, it was myself, Stacia Richmond, and Jenny Brodsky. And we were combined, of course, with other high school classes for various subjects. But we still picked on Jenny. Her mom came in high school and volunteered to, uh, in the high school classroom. Her mom was pretty strict, and that seemed to just throw more fuel on the fire uh, <clears throat> for our bashing of the Brodsky family, as we now had Jenny to make fun of and her mom uh, behind her back. And you know what? Jenny never complained, at least in front of us. She was sweet. She shared her notes that she took in class with us. She would probably go to the bathroom and cry when no one else was around or went home probably every day feeling lonely and rejected and wept on her pillow. I don't know that, though. But I can tell you whether she did or didn't, she had plenty of reason to. And it was at the hands of me and the hands of, of others who were driven to tear Jenny down with our jabs and our, and our pokes. Some of you have raised chickens, or perhaps you've had that, uh, that hen-pecked chicken there. Uh, who the, the chickens in a pen who pick on one particular hen incessantly, not satisfied until they're down. And we were like that. We were bent on doing evil to Jenny and ripping her apart and justifying it in the name of a good laugh in our own uh, security. We cut her up. We chopped her up. And we feasted on the feeling of being more secure in our own insecurity by pushing another person lower. We treated her unjustly. I can tell you, and you doesn't... Take rocket science to know this, that God hates that. And God hates when the vulnerable are abused. And He repays the evil that is done on those who are needy and vulnerable in particular. We've seen this already in Micah chapter 2. He has a heart for holiness and love toward His creatures, and He will not let the evil heart of man against His neighbor slip away untouched. This morning I want to bring you a message entitled Savage Hearts, Savage Hearts from Micah chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. Here in Micah 3 verses 1 through 4, Micah and his three sermons now brings up number 2. The first one is in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now the second one in chapter 3 through about chapter 5, verse 15. All three of these sermons are marked by the key word year or listen. The second cycle of judgment and salvation. The judgment is in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And then the salvation and the restoration theme is in chapter 4 through chapter 5, verse 15. In our text today, I want you to take special note of the authorities addressed, the authorities accused, and the authorities abandoned. The authorities addressed, the authorities accused, and the authorities abandoned. Let's look at the text. And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? who hate the good and love the evil, who pluck off their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people and slay their skin from off them, and they break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot and his flesh within the cauldron. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them he will even hide his face from them at that time as they have behaved themselves ill and they're doing First of all, in this passage, I'd like you to notice the authorities address. The authorities address. Look at the first part of verse 1. And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the houses of Israel. So that word here there, it's a signal of the second sermon. And these addressees are the leaders, the rulers. Now they could have included the courts, uh, uh, the judges in the courts, but uh, the, the leadership of Israel here. Also, notice who it, include, it includes. It includes the northern kingdom, Israel, and also the southern kingdom, Judah. And here are the authorities addressed. It, is, it was the government. The government was addressed. The government was the problem itself. The government was the problem. But not only were the authorities addressed, I'd also like you to look and see in verse, the end of verse 1 and 2 and 3 that the authorities are accused. The authorities are accused. Here's the accusation of Jehovah, Yahweh, God Almighty, to these government leaders. These authorities are accused. Look in chapter, one, uh, chapter 3, verse 1b. Is it not for you to know Judgment. Is it not for you to know judgment? First of all, I'd like you to see here, under this point, the authorities accuse that there is a refusal in the hearts of the government leaders. There is a refusal. The, uh, the, the Lord says, uh, um, <clears throat> is it not for you to know judgment? We look ahead to, to Romans chapter 13. It tells us that the government's job is to bear the sword. It is to execute justice, to protect. And, and in, there's a sense at the broadest level that justice is the, is the proper order here of society here. <clears throat> and if anyone should have known the meaning of judgment, of justice, it is those who have the awesome responsibility of leadership. This word here, judgment, is, it's used in a sense of fairness and, and equity here, particularly in the governmental uh, administration uh, of Israel. It's interesting that the word uh, frequently translated judgment in the King James Version is the Hebrew word mispate, mispate, and uh, it, means, it means judgment or, or justice here. Here's the issue. The establishment, the government, was controlled by corrupt public officials who winked at, probably participated in, the unjust and oppressive practices that Micah has has rebuked them for over and over in chapter 1 and 2 that he's been condemning up to this point. That question there is a rhetorical question. Should you not know justice? Implies, of course, that they should know justice justice. A couple of weeks ago, this came up here as a theme in chapter 2, and we looked at the idea two weeks ago, and we, we studied that Hebrew word for it, mispate. And I want to review it a little because it's an important theme in this book, and a major reason, and you'll see this throughout the other prophets, Isaiah has a very similar message, uh, Amos uh, particularly uh, speaks to these things as well, Zechariah mentions it, it's a major reason that Israel is called out under the judgment of God. And I think as we review it here, again, it will help us to understand what God intended for the Israelite people as they lived under His law, and they were to reflect His holy nature to the pagan nations. And I think as we look at it as well, it will become clearer to you how far they had fallen from the mandates of God and why God would judge them strongly in verse 4. That word mispate is an interesting theme in the Old Testament. Psalm 33, 5 says, He loveth righteousness and judgment. The word is mispate. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. In other words, one of the ways God displays His goodness throughout the world is through His righteousness and His judgment, His mispate. Psalm Uh, We saw as we studied this word that there seemed to be four people this word is particularly used of. Four groups. They are the orphans, the widows, the poor, and the strangers or the sojourners who would travel into the land. Psalm 146 verses 7 through 9 says... which who, God, executed judgment, there's mispaint for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry, the Lord looseth the prisoners, the Lord openeth the eyes of the blind, the Lord raiseth them that are bowed down, the Lord loveth the righteous, the Lord preserveth the strangers, he relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. What's interesting here is that the ancient cultures, the pagan worship of the, of the world all around, the Gentile worship, <clears throat> um, they looked at the power of their gods being channeled through the cultural elites, like the nobles, the kings and generals. But notice who Yahweh was taking his stand with. The broken in Israel, in contrast to the nation's values around them. He is a gracious and merciful God. Psalm 68, 4 and 5 says, Sing unto God, sing praises to his name, and stole him that rideth upon the heavens by his name Yah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, and a judge of the widows, is God in his holy habitation. And Israel's a grievance the covenant of God under that old covenant that old Moses law there where the blessings were pronounced for obeying and the curses were pronounced for disobeying at the end of Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy 27:19, one of the curses was this curse be he that perverteth mispate, judgment justice of the stranger fatherless and widow and all the people shall so say Amen. In fact, in Jeremiah 22, 3, Jeremiah says, This is one of the ways, uh, Israel, that you were to know God and how you treated people, how you loved your neighbor. Jeremiah 22, 3 says, Thus saith the Lord, Execute ye judgment, there's the word again, and righteousness, and deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor, and do no wrong, do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, nor the widow, neither shed innocent blood in this place. Here's the deal. Israel was to show the glory of God and His character. So all the pagan nations would look to Israel as a light to the nations. And their life in Yahweh was to be patterned after Yahweh's heart for these broken people. And the nations were to marvel at God's wisdom and glory. You can read this in Deuteronomy 4, verses 6-8. And one of the ways Israel was to show His glory and honoring Him was by not doing what the pagans did in their caste systems and beating down the downtrodden, but to show His beauty of honor, mercy, and grace. Jeremiah 22.16 says, He judgeth the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well with Him. Was not this to know Me, saith the Lord? You can see how closely the Lord's heart was aligned for this with His people Israel. There's a couple passages in Job that... Show why God could say of Job that he was a complete or perfect man and upright, one that feared God and eschewed or hated evil. And one of those passages is in Job chapter 29, verses 12 through 17. And it really describes for us in that uh, that old day there, uh, that ancient times, uh, what flowed out of a man who is was in a right relationship with God, a right vertical relationship? What flowed in his horizontal relationships? And listen how Job describes himself as he wonders why this, why these curses are coming upon him, why all this uh, trial and 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 uh, he wasn't being punished, but all of these uh, horrible things are happening, and he and he, and he wonders and he said because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment, that's the word mispaid again, was as a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind and feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor and the cause which I knew not I searched out and I broke the jaws of the wicked and plucked the spoils out of his teeth you see job's heart here and how he he treated the 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 uh the unfortunate in his society here he he didn't just help them he was eyes to the blind he was feet to the lame he cared for the needs of the poor as a parent uh, would care for the needs of his children he says he and not only that he confronted those who would take advantage of uh, and the oppressors Job thirty one verses thirteen to twenty eight gives us some more details about that. Job says this If I did despise the cause of my manservant or my maidservant when they contended with me, what then shall I do when God riseth up? And when he visiteth, what shall I answer him? Did he not make didn't listen, this is such a this is such a um, the, the, the Christian understanding of being made in the image of God is our equality with one another with a human being, that there's no one better than another person. Listen to what he says. Did not he that made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? Not one God? In verse 16, he shares his goals. He has goals for the poor and the widow. He says, If I have withheld the poor from their desire... Or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail. He's saying, um, uh, he's saying, I haven't done that. That's what he's saying. I haven't done that. I haven't caused the eyes of the widow to be no longer weary. I haven't uh, uh, turned the poor man's life into, into, into a worse life, but I've turned his life into delight, he says. Or have eaten my morsel of myself alone, and the fatherless have not eaten thereof. For from my youth he was brought up with me as a father, and I have guided her from my mother's womb. If I have seen any perish for want of clothing, or any poor without covering, if his loins have not blessed me, and if he were not warm with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless when I saw my help in the gate, then let my arm fall from my shoulder blade, he said, and my arm be broken from the bone. And he says, to not do so, to not do these things would be an offense to God and a sin. He says, for destruction from God was a terror to me, and by reason of his highness I could not endure. Thus also, this also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied the God. That is above. You see how involved Job was. His heart, and he's—Job was not a person of the people of Israel, but that was in the Hebrew canon. They understand this was this was how Israel was to treat the downtrodden among them. He wasn't satisfied with halfway measures, was he? Of tossing some money into the into the can for those individuals, but he was—he uh, was exhibiting the heart of his God. One of my favorite passages in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, says this. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glorieth in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness. And out of loving kindness is God's covenant mercies. Out of His mercies flows this. Which exercise loving kindness, mishpate, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Ezekiel 18, verse 5 and 7 through 9 says, But if a man be just, and do that which is lawful, mishpate, and right, and hath not, impressed any, but hath restored to the debtor his pledge, hath spoiled none by violence, hath given his bread to the hungry, and hath covered the naked with a garment. He that hath not given forth upon usury uh, lended in, with interest, neither hath taken any increase, that hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity, hath executed true judgment between man and man, hath walked in my statutes, and hath kept my judgment to deal truly. He is just he shall surely live, saith the Lord God. Isaiah, and later on you'll see this in Micah chapter 6. Isaiah uh, lambasts Israel and says, I don't care about all your rituals, I don't care about all your traditions, unless they're coming out of a pure heart that worships God. He says, You do this, you do that, you follow these rituals, you do all these traditions, but he says, This, this is what I want. Isaiah 58, 6 through 7. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou shalt bring the poor that are cast out of thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? then shall thy light break forth as the morning and thine health shall spring forth speedily and thy righteous shall go before thee the glory of the Lord shall be their reward so this here gives a better picture here uh, of what God expected Israel to do His undeserving loving kindness by God choosing Israel out of the multitude of nations, not because they deserved it or were special, but only because of His mercy. On account of that, they were to image His mercy to the other nations. And grace and just nature to their neighbor. And specifically here, in this context of Micah three one through four, it was in the protection, the generous care, the just punishment of the oppressors of the poor, the widows, orphans, and immigrants in their midst. So here was God's accusation to the authorities: their refusal to obey His commands that He laid out in the law concerning mistreatment. Secondly. I'd like you to notice here in Micah chapter 3 the root of this accusation, the root of this accusi- accusation. He says, "Is it not for you to know judgment?" verse 2, "who hate the good and love the evil." Who hate the good and love the evil? You know what he you know what God does? He peels off the first layer, and he peels off the second layer, and he peels off the third layer, and he gets to what they loved. You know what he's doing? He gets to the heart. He gets to the heart. He goes straight to the heart. He peers deeply into the contours of their heart, and God says it is dark, and here is the root of the evil. The root of the evil was they loved evil, and they hated good. That's what was wrong. Amos five fifteen said, Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. They had perverse standards. You can look at verse 9 of Micah chapter 3 and see this. The perversion. They didn't love the Lord. Psalm 97.10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of His saints. He delivereth them out of the hands of the wicked. Of course, Proverbs 8 verse 13 says, To hate evil is to love the Lord. It's It's to fear the Lord. Folks, Even this week in our nation, our government was questioned about the barbarity of the practices of Planned Parenthood, which, by the way, was founded by Margaret Sanger, uh, the founder of Eugenics, which is a way of thinking and social experiment bent on exterminating the lower classes, and particularly the minority population in her day. She was lauded as a hero. There's a statue of her in the Smithsonian Institute, and the government, as they were questioned about these practices, deflected the practices, and portrayed the Center for Medical Progress, which has pretty strong Catholic roots, but very uh, 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 serious about, about life, uh, exposed their horrors. Uh, the the Center of Medical Progress they portrayed them as exposing the horrors of Planned Parenthood as, as an evil extremist group like they were the ones or the evil ones they love evil and hate good these Israelite government officials and today as well See, this evil is deep in the heart, and it's seen to be very clearly uh, shown in the heart of man uh, in our nation's leadership as well. The love of power, the greed, it twists justice, it hates good, and it loves evil. <laughs> and it always has been that way. In a heart, that is rooted in that. You see, to love evil and to hate good, is the heart of the anti-god the slanderer, Satan Satan is the one who loves to steal to kill and destroy notice in Micah chapter 3 how they kill and steal and destroy look what Micah says in verse 3 the end of verse 2. Who pluck off their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones. Who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and they break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot and as flesh within the cauldron. He's saying, you guys are like cannibals. Here you are to care for these people and you are using them. You are chopping them up. You are throwing them in the pot. You're using every last bit of them, he's saying. You're turning them into soup. They are reflecting the devouring nature of their small g-god, the adversary. And their refusal is based in the root of their evil hearts, and it shows itself in repulsive ways. I want you to see, thirdly, then, under the authorities accused, the repulsiveness. The repulsiveness. That language there in the end of verse 2 and 3, the prophet Micah is obviously very emotional, isn't he? You can picture that, can't you? He describes the harsh treatment directed against the poor. He pictures these civil leaders as 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 treating these classes of people like animals being butchered and prepared for eating. That skin, there, a word that's used for the hide of animals frequently, was torn from them and their flesh butchered. Matthew Henry says this about this passage. He says, They barbarously devour those whom they should protect. And as unfaithful shepherds fleece the flock, they should feed. They instead of feeding it, they feed upon it. It is fit indeed that he who feeds a flock should eat of the milk of the flock, but that will not content them. They eat the flesh of my people. It is fit that they should be clothed with the wool, but that will not serve. They flay the skin from off them. By imposing heavier taxes upon them than they can bear, and extracting them with rigor by fines and corporal punishments for pretended crimes they ruined the estates and families of their subjects they took away from some, of, from some their lives, from others their livelihoods and woo, were to their subjects as beasts of prey rather than shepherds they break their bones to come at the marrow and chop the flesh in pieces as for the pot. This intimates that they were very ravenous and greedy for themselves, indulging themselves in luxury and sensuality, very barbarous and cruel to those that were under them, not caring whom they beggared, so they could but enrich themselves such evil as the love of money the root of. In other words, their nation was defined by what they loved. And what they hated, that reflected their heart. And so it is with us in humanity. What we love and what we hate shows who we worship. They loved evil, they hated good. (laughs) Scripture tells us to hate evil to love good. Let me show this so obviously here in the past month. America applauded a distorted sexuality outside of marriage of a husband and wife. America calls perverted thinking about their gender heroism. Our government assures us of safety measures that will be worth it in the end if they protect even one child and at the same time pronounce God bless America and God bless Planned Parenthood. While 3,322 abortions a day are performed and the parts now exposed is being sold all in the name of women's health care. Does verse two and three sound like America today? And I have to be very honest and frank with you this morning. I cannot sing. I cannot hum. I cannot whistle. God bless America. And I have to be firm and say I don't think we should sing it in our church till the America repents. And I'm asking that you don't do that. No, Mr. President. No, Senator Angus King, no, Senator Collins, and study her record on abortion. Aborting our smallest women is not supporting women's health. No, we cannot tell God to bless America. As sentimental as that song is in my heart and that phrase is in my ears, how much I love that song, how much I wish it was true, we have to stand on truth. We have to hold the eternal value of truth and the word of God and the character of who He is and His inestimable worth, and we must finally be honest. And we can only say that unless evil men repent, God damn America. America. What do I mean by that? Adrian Rogers said this If we tell God to bless America In spite of all the sin that America is involved in God's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah If my people pray and turn their hearts from their wicked ways Then will I hear and heal their land Then will I bless As much as I love this country, I cannot say, God bless America, when I see the evil that America plots. And I know the applauding is not done by everybody. Look at the consequences of their evil. Verse 4. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but He will not hear them. He will even hide His face from them at that time as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. It seems like, and I would not be dogmatic upon this, but it seems like there, comes, there can come a point in life where you have gone too far Thirdly, in verse 4, there are the authorities that are abandoned. The authorities that are abandoned. Then, or at that time, that refers to the time of divine judgment, where there is no mercy. When that day comes, the guilty leaders will cry out to the Lord for help in their time of need, but he will not respond. Proverbs 21.13 said, If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and will not be answered. This is the fulfillment of that here with their particular problem. The Lord will hide his face. Remember what Aaron pronounces? He says, May his face shine upon us. The ironic blessing. The Lord will hide his face from these people. It is punishment in kind, measure for measure, and this practice of what they were treat, how they were treating these people leads to alienation from God. Isaiah 59 says the problem is not that God can't save. The problem is not that God's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But here's the problem, he said. Your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies that conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. God's arm is still long enough to save. His ear is still willing to listen to repentance. His his uh, his his hands are are willing to receive repentant sinners. The problem is, there was no repentance. Unfortunately, corrupt civil leaders we can say are still very much with us. Thank God for the ones who. Live by His Word and honor His Word. And I thank you for the folks in our church who are serving in the, in the arena there in Augusta and, uh, and being true to their uh, uh, Christian beliefs and faith. But this verse here closes with the worst judgment that could ever happen. It is what hell is all about. It is what Jesus faced on the cross. It is the abandonment of God. The word for cry there in verse 4 is a very strong one. It's a wailing of desperation with no hope. I'm going to tell you, you can cry out for help. But this cry here has no repentance in it. It was like King Saul's repentance, right? They always called for a bailout. The Lord will not hear them. Dead silence. heavy a friend at the end of chapter 2 we saw a little glimpse of hope didn't we last week verses 12 and 13 we're going to see it again in chapter 4 Through chapter 5 verse 15 In in an even greater explanation Of what he hinted at In chapter 2 verse 12 to 13 But let's turn to chapter 2 and 12 uh, verse 13 And and look and see here I will surely assemble O Jacob All of thee I will surely gather The remnant of Israel I will put them together As the sheep of Basra As the flock in the midst of their fold They shall make great noise By reason of the multitude of men the breaker has come up before them. They have broken up and passed through the gate and are gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. You want to understand what that means? You just have to listen to last week's message there on the, on the internet here. But the, 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 the glory of it is this. There's another leader here. There is a true shepherd, a true king who nourishes and cares for his own. Has broken his repentance. Who rules over the evil. Who will make his enemies his footstool. Will stamp out evil. Who shows his great love toward us in the sense that on the cross he took evil himself upon him in our place this one gives his life as a shepherd and he says he, li- he willingly lays down his life for the sheep. Think about this. As horrible as these leaders were, do you know that ultimately, through our sins, we all give reason for God not to listen to us. And yet there was one who had no sin who was perfect, had all righteousness, who deserved to be heard by God, and he wasn't. In Matthew 26, verse 39 on the cross, his father turned his face away from him as he took our sin upon him. And he did that so that the penitent, the repentant sinner's prayer can be answered. Isaiah says all our sins, all our iniquities were laid on Him. He became sin for us. And because He took the rejection of God on the cross, as He was punished in your and my place, when we sincerely repent and we rest upon His job alone, He hears us. And He answers our call for grace. And He spreads it on thick, layer After layer, after layer. I want to ask you this morning, is He yours? Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whosoever (laughs) believes upon Him will be saved. I'd like heads bowed and eyes closed if you could. Is He yours? Is He your promise? Did He become sin for you so that you could be made the very righteousness of God? Is He your master? Is He the ruler of your heart? Do you have a personal walk with Jesus? Is your life hidden in Christ's life? Has He made your heartless, or your lifeless heart alive? Has He made the stony heart soft? Has He broken your chains to sin and made you free? Has He made your dull eyes now see and your once deaf ears now hearing His Word? Whosoever, will you turn from yourself to Him and believe? Will you give up on the false hopes that you may be trusting in and lies and emptiness your life has been built on? Crumbling brick by crumbling brick, rotting timber by rotting timber, leaky roof by leaky roof. Will you come find life in Him? If that's you today, would you lift your hand and acknowledge that God did a work in your heart today to save you? you put your trust in Christ alone to rescue you? Is there any? You can lift your heads. I want to finish my story about Jenny. Uh, My classmate, Jenny Brodsky, um, deserved better than I treated her. The irony of the story is Jenny also went to the same college I went to in the same class. Northland Baptist Bible College where I went. I had grown up a little bit. During her years there, her mom, Yvonne, developed breast cancer and after a couple years of battle went to heaven to be with the Lord. Unlike uh, Chuck, a story a couple weeks ago, there's good news of this story about Jenny. God had worked in my evil heart in college and I went and I made things right with Jenny. Uh, Today Jenny is still the sweet person she's always been. Um, she lives in New Jersey now had lived in South Carolina she's a pastor's wife and mom to three kids one of whom she named Yvonne after her mother and I told Jenny a few years ago here that uh, joking with it I was pretty much a thorn in her side and God took nasty me and made her more like Christ through me being nasty and how she responded to me all those years Take credit for being a tool in her sanctification. But the good news of all this is, God changes hearts. He changes lives, and He loves to do that. Let's pray.